Yo! Over here. Could you open the gate, please? I, I have to get in there. Sorry you can't come in. My girlfriend is in there. Hey, a lot of people's girlfriends are in there. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. So Ian, last week I sent an email to Tropical MBA listeners asking them to ask us anything. And what you have in front of you right now is the list of questions that they asked. Is anything jump out at you as surprising? It's a very long list. That's what jumps out at me. (laughs) (laughs) We got a bunch of questions about lifestyle and business and a, a lot of questions about us personally. Which I thought was pretty cool, Ian, because when I was growing up listening to the Howard Stern show, my favorite episodes were always the meta episodes when they were (laughs) arguing about each other, talking about being on the Howard Stern show. And so hopefully we could just do a little bit of that today on the Tropical MBA show. So a little bit of behind the scenes stuff. Are you down for it? Are you willing to be open and honest? (laughs) Nobody's drunk on this show, though. Nobody's a dwarf. So I I don't know how exciting it's going to (laughs) be. One of the questions we received, Ian, is, is, you know, how do we spend our time? What do we do day to day? And last week, we spent a lot of time working on this Barcelona event. So I wanted to, for a little bit of housekeeping before we get started with the Q&A, mention that if you're a DC member or thinking about joining, on June 25th to the 27th, we are hosting an event in Europe, our first since 2013, and it's going to be in the great city of Barcelona. As if you needed another excuse to visit Barcelona, there you go. Yeah, and the reason we're having it in Europe, Dan, is because a lot of DCers are moving to Europe yeah. this year. And I think that that's one of the things that we're seeing in the community now is like people are you know, understanding how this location independence thing works. People are not just in Asia. There's a large community now that's going to Europe for the summer. We thought it would be appropriate to go there too. Ian, one other housekeeping item is a lot of people ask us, hey, I'm at square one. I want to move to Europe for the summer too. I want to visit Asia. I want to have a profitable business, but I don't have business experience. How do I get started? And of course, there's many ways to answer that question. But one way that we've explored in some depth on this show is to start a productized service business. And if you don't know what that is, or if you're interested in learning how to do it, you're in luck. We've pulled together a 10-part series you know, because we've got almost 300 episodes now, Ian, but we've organized these episodes in a linear fashion. You can download the zip file, no email required. Just go there, download the zip file and enjoy that series. It'll be at tropicalmba.com. By the way, Dan, I Googled productized service just the other day, and I think we were number 10 on Google. So we're on the front page for that. We're also and on the we front do page. zero optimization for SEO, so it's pretty amazing. I think we rank for quitting sugar and playing guitar. Those are our two. Yes. <laughs> All right. Speaking of inside baseball, what do you say we get moving on to uh, these wonderful questions that the listeners submitted? All right, we got a bunch of questions here, so we're going to go rapid fire and try to get through as many as possible. We haven't prepped on this stuff, so we're going to try to get like the honest answers, our first thoughts 
on these things. So we'll read them back to each other, Ian. You know, maybe pick out the ones that interest you and we'll ask each other. So Sin from Rio writes, what's your number? Is there a point or scale of income that you want to reach and stop growing the business? This is good. By the way, we should be having this conversation privately, but now we'll just have it publicly. <laughs> yeah, we'll just, we'll just talk about it right here. Is there a number? No, there's not a number, but there's a reason there's not a number, I guess, for me. The reason there's not a number is because I think that this is a question that a lot of people ask that don't have a business or aren't in business yet. And Sin, I don't know if that's your case, but I get this question from a lot of people that say like, oh man, don't you think you would just like sit on your ass if you had like $5 million in the bank and like didn't have to worry about anything? And that's for people that think that the motivation of all this is to get that money and to be able to sit on your ass. If you've ever sat on your ass for any length of time, you'll realize how boring it is because I've done this experiment before. (laughs) It's very boring. I'm not in it for the number sin. I'm in it for the exploration. I'm in it for the adventure. I'm in it for the journey. As long as it's interesting to me, as long as we're doing fun things, we're going to keep doing it. Now, in terms of like, you know, when it becomes to the point where you don't have to work anymore, I don't know what that's going to look like because we might live to be very old. (laughs) I mean, seriously, like that's one of the things that I'm thinking about now, Dan, is like, oh man, like if I don't do anything stupid, like I might actually live to be like very old and everybody's retirement you know, that they thought they were saving for. Like when you retire at 60 and you die at 80, like that just might not be the case in the future. So I don't think it makes sense necessarily to say that you're going to live to 150, to say that money is going to even matter when you're 150 or anything like that. But the long answer here is like, I don't have a number. I'm doing this because I love it. I agree. Like the number thing doesn't work for me. It never really worked for me. People used to say, oh, I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 35. Or a lot of us know millionaires who are freaking out about where the million's going to go. Like it's going to sort of melt away over the years because it's not going to get them through the retirement or they can't earn residual income off of it. So it's gradually disappearing. So there's always a the question once you get to 1 million, where's the next million coming from? So that's why I don't have a number like that. But I had a goal in mind. It was 110. So $100,000 in savings, like a pad, and $10,000 in monthly income that is earned sort of in a lifestyle business fashion. So that's not $10,000 I'm getting from like client management or hustling the phones, but that's $10,000 I'm getting from a business that's run by people in process. I think we articulated that more or less to each other in our dreamlines a few years ago. Our dreamline episode is a really good one that we don't bring up a lot. I've had a lot of people email me about that. So if you don't know what a dreamline is, we'll link to it in the show notes of this one. But yeah, Ian, that was kind of a a bedrock figure for me. It's like getting six figures in the bank account and then having 10,000 come in every month. It's that cash flow figure that's more important to me than the top line be all end all be all number. Like you're saying, like I want to keep developing. I want to keep going. So if I feel like if I got cash flow, I'm in good shape. Whereas if I've just got that number in the bank, I'm a little bit worried because I'm wondering where the next number is going to come from. Adam writes us from Ithaca, New York. What has been the most financially rewarding part of living abroad? Also, what has been the largest financial penalty of living abroad? Dan, I think you can go first on this one and then I'll weigh in. The most financially rewarding part might be the biggest penalty as well, which is the wealthy people that you can befriend or network with on a regular basis that are living unconventional scripts. So I feel like because I've lived abroad, a higher percentage of my friends are sort of high net worth in interesting entrepreneurial ways. Now, I don't know if I lived in the States what my friendships would really look like, but my assumption is they would be people that more were in corporate jobs or people that were at the beginning stages of their entrepreneurial career. 
that might be the biggest penalty too, is maybe I'm not around my target market. But again, it's a lifestyle decision. So it's hard for me to know what the penalty has been really. You know, the most financially rewarding part of being a broad Dan is the price difference. I, in most of the places that I visit, in terms of the prices of what it is in the U.S. versus a lot of the world, you know, stuff is expensive in the United States. It's really expensive. We moved into this apartment here. I was looking at lamps. <laughs> I mean, a lamp is like a freaking hundred dollars. I'm like, when did this happen? Yeah. Uh, when did everything get so expensive? It's just amazing because I was looking at this lamp and then I was also planning for when we're in Barcelona. I'm thinking about Dan going to Greece. I didn't tell you that, but a trip from Barcelona to Greece is $150. And I'm just like, wow. I'm like, this is what happens when you live here is all your money goes to buying lamps. It's just a total bummer for me because you want to have a semi-nice apartment. You don't want to spend a bunch of time on it. But at the same time, it's like this stuff starts to own you. And I can just see myself being back here for the last couple of months. This stuff just starting to own me. Yeah, I want to change my answer then based on Ian's. One of the most financially rewarding parts of living abroad, especially when you're not making a gazillion dollars, is living like a gangster. Last night we had a DC meetup. And we ordered like ribs and a seafood plate and like we sat at a really nice – it was awesome. And I remember I marveled when the bill came because I think there were six of us. And the bill was like 60 bucks. And the food, I mean, it was just as good as the food you'd get in Texas. It was awesome food. And then, you know, earlier that day, I'm at the gym. I can have a trainer come over at any time. I can go get a massage for 20 bucks at a really nice place, you know. So, yeah, there, there is that kind of like level of service. I have a maid that cleans my place for next to nothing. So there is that level of luxury that would be difficult to achieve back home. Yep. Agree. And I have a maiden. She probably costs five times what yours does. For me, the largest financial penalty of living abroad was mental. I'm sure I'm going to run into this again, but the whole problem with being a U.S. citizen and trying to stay anywhere for a long period of time, it's very difficult depending on where you're going to be. You know, the Philippines is one exception. Dan, that's where you are right now. A lot of the places I want to be, I can only be there for the limited amount of time because of the visa situation. And so, you know, when I was traveling a few months ago, I think I was gone from the States for like nine or 10 months. And it got to the point where I was like literally stressed out trying to figure out where the next place was that I could go and how long I could stay there for. And it's a cycle and it's awful. And I hope that these bureaucrats and politicians, and maybe we should figure it out, Dan. I don't know. Someone can figure it out. It's going to be huge. Someone will do (laughs) something about this. There will be some kind of global passport. I can smell it. I mean, it's just so ridiculous. It's got to go. These countries should really be incentivized to have these people here. I mean, can you imagine if Spain opened up and said, look, guys, all you have to do is like prove that you kind of have a business online or something like that? I mean, thousands and thousands of people would move into Barcelona and spend a lot of money. And I think that that's all what we're kind of waiting for. And hopefully it happens soon. Dan Fishman from Philly says, I'm wondering how much savings do I need to move overseas to Thailand, somewhere like Chiang Mai or Phuket, get a decent apartment and live there for three or four months? And the other question Dan has is, what's the job market like for expats with a decent sales and marketing background? A lot of people accuse me of being rosy on the figures. So as someone who doesn't regularly live here, Ian, what do you think the real burn rate might be for someone in like sort of a Thai city? I'll answer the second part of his question first, which is, what do you think the job market's like for expats with a decent sales and marketing background? Thanks a lot. I guess what Dan is saying here is that he would actually like to work for a local company 
in Thailand or Chiang Mai. So the good news is, like, if you're a traveler way back in the day, you still have to, like, wash dishes under the table. Yeah. And you don't have to do that anymore, is my understanding. And I think you probably could find a job at a hotel or something like that. The question is, why would you want to do that? Exactly. You're listening to this show right now. You found your way to the internet. You understand what a podcast is. It's very difficult to find podcasts. So you're doing something right. You have some kind of skill set in sales and marketing. Translate that to something online. Don't mess around with trying to get a local work visa. I think that that's ridiculous. Let me answer the first question then, which is how much savings you need. You just need two grand a month. Forget about the plane tickets. That's if you drink as much beer as Dan. So really, I think... If you drink as much beer as me, you need three grand a month easily. But the thing about it is, is how hard is it to get a job for an internet marketer for 1500 or 2000 a month and then you don't need any savings so i think that that's the approach i would take is that people on the internet need good people for customer service for podcast editing for internet marketing that's the skill that i would focus on and that's the kind of job i would look for if i was going to move to thailand so bottom line answer here, Dan, is very little savings. I think it depends on your risk tolerance, but really, man, it's like 1500 to $2,000 a month. And I'm sure if you find yourself over there and you like it, you're going to figure out a way to get your ass on Odesk and make it happen. All right, Donald in Texas writes in, as someone in their 50s who is not location independent, I would like to know the fastest way to learn coding, blogging, et cetera, so I can begin to do this where I am located. Specifically, my idea is to team up with someone who is technically superior but cash poor with my cash but no knowledge. We both benefit from the situation. Any suggestions? I think what Donald is hinting at here is that he's an older guy in his 50s and he's got a bunch of cash, but he doesn't necessarily have the skills. So how does he find himself into a location-independent situation? So my first thought to Donald is, don't overestimate people who've got these technical skills and don't underestimate your ability to learn them and to build a business because you've got that desire to relocate or to own your own financial future. So what I do with a little bit of cash, Ian, is I think I'd you know trot on over to empireflippers.com and look at the businesses for sale. That's maybe how I'd deploy my cash. And I'd use a very small percentage of my overall net worth. I'd invest in a location-independent business. And I'd start digging into it, like learning by doing. And then you know, once you understand like, hey, this is going to require this and that and the other thing, I know enough about that to know what I'm looking for in a partner or what I'm looking for in a first employee. I don't think it makes sense to really partner up until you know the type of business that you want to be running. Agree 100%, man. I think I would deploy that cash and try and buy a business. Even if it isn't a location-independent business, you yourself can become location-independent if you have the right processes in place to get yourself out of that business eventually. So it's like what you were talking about earlier, Dan, which is what your number was back in the day, you know, $100,000 in the bank and 10K, you know, coming in every month. It's like you can be location independent if that's the kind of situation that you have. Yeah. Donald, it sounds like you could potentially already be location independent if you got a bunch of cash. So why not make the jump now and try and buy your business from abroad? It's a great point. You don't have to be a neophyte. A location independence isn't really anything new. It doesn't have anything specifically to do with blogging or internet marketing or coding. It's a mindset and a cash flow issue. And so I totally agree with you there. So Ian, Amy from Sweden writes us, I'm graduating this summer and I have two choices. I'm struggling with it since I see it as a choice between freedom and career. Here are the two options. Number one, SEO consultant at a firm I'm currently interning at. The upside here is I can probably leave to be location independent within six months. The second choice 
is project lead at a leading CRM company in the Nordics. I'd get to learn from smart, ambitious people, but I'd probably have to stick for two years. So what would you choose, Ian? Freedom or career? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think Amy knows what she wants to do. <laughs> yeah, this is a pretty easy one for me. What I would choose is freedom, obviously. With that, I think what I would choose first is apprenticeship. So you're talking about the SEO opportunity and then you're talking about a CRM opportunity. I think you got to ask yourself, where does your future lie? What do you want to do in the future? Is it CRM? Is it SEO? Is it a mix of the two? Find yourself in an apprenticeship where you can learn and then you can go use those skills and, and go get your freedom. And here's my perception, and I might anger some people by saying this, but I'm sorry. There's a difference between corporate people and entrepreneurs. And when we say get an apprenticeship, I don't mean sit in Monday morning team meetings with a bunch of people who are mid-level managers. I mean get an apprenticeship with the owner of the business because there's just a categorically different experience and attitude. And if you want the, quote, freedom that I think you're referring to long term, I would take Ian's advice and go direct to the owner of the business and try to learn from them. Yeah, and if neither of these situations, you're learning the skill set that you can employ on your own as a location independent business owner, then neither of these opportunities are right for you. Find yourself in a situation where you can be learning hands-on, real-time these skills, and then the next day after you quit your job, start your firm. Oh, geez. I could have seen this one coming. I would like to know more about Dan and Ian's dating and love life. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's 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 crazy how many did questions, your mom write this is it's this crazy you, how many questions we got this? about this stuff Ian. mark <laughs> from florida is just one representative of many <laughs> i would say this first off most of uh, the things about our dating and love life are entirely too embarrassing to bring up on the show and i boring boring embarrassing quiet just not interesting i'll say this we're both in long-term relationships with amazing people and we'd like to keep it that way does that sum up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that pretty much sums it up. There's a couple other questions in here. So I think we should just go into a little bit more. Bradley from Breckenridge. Maybe this is too personal. Yes, it is, Bradley. How do you mix relationships and travel? Dave also mentions, by the way, I've rarely heard you guys talk about this. What's up? Maybe that's getting too personal, but it's something that I feel is missing from the show. So let me just say it's an opportunity for someone to start a podcast around this topic. Because I think this might be one of the few times Ian and I touch on it. I don't know. (laughs) Mr. Mark Manson, if you're listening to the podcast, now would be your time to start that. Let me kind of talk about how I think Mark would talk about this, Dan. First of all, yes, I'm in a relationship long term. A few years now, it's amazing for me. We travel together. She owns a business and she works online as well. And that's a pretty new development. That's like within the last year and a half. So basically, the way that it started for me, Dan, and you know this history. So I was working with you, Dan, and we have this business and we started traveling And for me, I realized that I wanted to have a relationship, basically. And it was very hard for me to meet that person while I was on the road, although I think it's totally possible. So when I was back in San Diego for a stint, I met somebody. I continued to travel. She continued to have her job. Eventually, at some point, I said, you know, hey, I'm going to Vietnam for six months. Like, you should come, basically. It was a weird situation because you have to, like, respect that this person has a career. You have to respect what this person's bank account looks like. You have to maybe assume some responsibility on that end, depending on you know what kind of financial situation your partner's in. So basically, for me, Dan, it led to a bunch of really interesting conversations. And I think it, it really accelerated things for me because 
it's not like you're just dating. It's like, hey, we're going to move in together and we're going to move in together across the world. Yeah. So <laughs> it made for an interesting, a few interesting conversations. But now that I'm into it, I mean, it's just amazing. And my girlfriend's figured out a way for herself to make money online. So that's been pretty cool, too. And now my, my biggest problem is like not trying to become her boss in a lot of ways. You know, she'll be like, ask me a question online. I'll be like, oh, this is how you do it. And I'll be like, no, 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 no. I'm not your boss. I'm your boyfriend. I'm not going to give you business advice. So one of the things I think that you brought up is it sort of does force your hand a little bit in terms of the commitment stuff, right? Because on the one hand, if if you're hanging around a little bit too long in San Diego and you're supposedly this location independent person, you have to answer for yourself, you know? So you have to cop to the fact that you're really into that person early in the game. Or if you're leaving and you want them to come, same thing, which I think is maybe a good thing. You really have to make a decision about the person early in the game and make a maybe more of a commitment. There's another thing I want to touch on. A lot of people, Ian, are scared of starting to live more location independently because they're worried they won't find that mate. I've heard this fear time and time again, and I actually had it a little bit myself too. It was kind of a worry in my head. Like if I leave San Diego when I'm 26 years old and when I'm around these other young people, am I going to miss out on my opportunity to meet somebody? And my answer to that question, which I've received a few times, is to optimize for yourself to get yourself in a place where you feel like you're pursuing what's truly congruent to you. Because I think it's pretty crappy to like meet somebody in the compromise phase of life. You know what I mean? Like when you're making this giant compromise and, and maybe you meet them and, and you guys are currently on the same trajectory, but the difference between you is you're compromising and they're doing their thing. So like, I think if you're living the trajectory that you feel congruent with, you're going to be able to spot other people that are on that trajectory easier And you're going to be able to connect with them over that. You know, the same thing happened with me in my life because I was living congruently and vocal about it and on the lookout for it. I was able to spot other people that had those values. I'm glad I didn't succumb to that worry. I think you're totally right there, Dan, which is to just be congruent and true to yourself. You know, so in the beginning phases of my relationship, I mean, to be totally honest, like I was 100 percent committed to the business and to travel. And so, you know, although like I like this person, it was a secondary concern for me for a long time, you know, because I had this trajectory. And then when it started to get serious, I mean, she doesn't listen to the podcast, luckily. So <laughs> I'm sure somebody's going to tell her about this. But even in the beginning phases, when we started to travel and whatnot together, like my primary objective was business and lifestyle and, and trying to see if I can make this thing work at the same time. But honestly, it wasn't my number one priority. You know, I think for me, I was staying true to myself at that time and what I wanted to accomplish. And like, so it just turned out that we were a really good fit. And now all these things are kind of coming together and I'm able to kind of enjoy all these things together, which is a really amazing thing. But in the beginning, like it wasn't my number one priority. Now let me sell it a little bit because we're getting serious and roast, but let's talk about how amazing this is for relationships because I have a friend, a very close friend who's currently basically not going to be able to sustain a relationship with someone he loves very much and is a very close match with him and everything because of their careers. They're in the wrong places and they just can't find a middle ground. And how many times have you heard that story? Now, on the contrary, my question to you might be, do you need to date another digital nomad? Like, Does it work with somebody that has a career that's location-based? Yeah, I think it could work. And I'm starting to see it work for a lot of people. It just so happened when I was like on the dusty trail a couple of years ago, like I just didn't meet anybody. But I did happen to when I was in San Diego. Let's talk about the financial element here really quick. You know, I was in a position financially where I could kind of take care of everything, if that makes sense. So like when we hit the road, I pretty much 
put finances aside for both of us. So I basically said like, hey, look, I know that you're sacrificing a lot in terms of your career and all that. Like when you hit the road with me, like, don't worry about it. Like, I'm going to take care of this. And I got myself to a position where I was able to do that. And that really, honestly, like that took tons of the emotional stress off, I think, of the situation. I mean, I have to ask my girlfriend, but it was a really nice thing to do because she's not worried about a job, although she's very willing and able and much smarter than me. She could have a job. She can kind of go at her own pace. And ultimately, I think that's what like led her into this development phase where she was able to start her own business online, you know, is because she didn't have those pressures. And so look, like I'm not going to imagine that that's not a, like a very fortunate situation, but Hey, I'm also not going to say that I didn't plan that out. Like, look, I got myself to a financial position where I could take care of myself and someone else. Yeah. And I decided that I wanted to take that leap and do that experiment. So, you know, that was me planning for a while. I really love your girlfriend and she has this, she's hilarious. And one of her things she says is like people are like taxi cabs, you know, they turn on their lights when they're ready for a relationship and you can tell. <laughs> and I relate to that because my light was off for years and it was because I had a sort of a scarcity mindset, both in terms of finances and time, because I was so focused on the business and the lifestyle, like you said, that I wanted to sustain it. And I saw people coming into my life as sort of a threat to that. Like, hey, don't take my time. I wasn't willing to invest. So when my taxi cab light went on, I, I had an abundance mindset in terms of being willing to spend time to invest in a relationship and spend time away from the business to do that. And so that was an important thing too. Maybe in the early years, I mean, this is my first company. This is my first shot at making it happen. I wasn't willing to invest in a lot of other things at that point in my life. So that was an important change for me. You know, there was a point in time where my light went on and I was willing to look for other people in similar trajectories. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about relationships. It's, it's good. It feels cathartic, Ian. We haven't really talked about this a lot on the show. <laughs> for good and, reason, and man. Talk, this, I'm sweating over here. I can understand. I'm sweating too. I can understand why people want to hear about it. You know, we talk about it all the time at our events. It's the first thing yeah. when I see Wes Monk at DCBKK, I'm like, he's like the oracle. You know, I want to hear from people that are in serious relationships and how they're doing it and how it works for them. One thing I wanted to ask you is how has it changed the way you travel? Because one of the things I've noticed is that I used to stay on my friends' couches all the time. That doesn't fly. <laughs> you know what I was about to say? I was about to say, yeah, I remember the first time we were traveling together. And she's like very, very cool about stuff like this. But like I was really intent on spending $16 at this hotel in Vietnam <laughs> because that's what I would have done on my own. Turns out, you know, the hotel that was $32 was 10 times better. I'm, I'm not saying that it's always about that. In terms of like the quality of my travel, like, I'd say it's gone up a lot. I'm having a companion, Dan, and you and I used to travel a lot together and we still do now just with our girlfriends. And I think traveling with a companion is a lot of times it can be better for me personally. I, I like it because you get to share experiences and I have a horrible memory. So somebody can remind me what we did. <laughs> <laughs> so we've gotten through a lot of the lifestyle questions. Now there's a lot of behind the scenes, meta questions about me and you. Do you still have some energy and some time? Figure people that are sticking around, they're the super fans. So Let's do it. Michael from Brooklyn, New York, a place Ian and I both love. How do you actually spend your days? And when are you working? What are you working on? So Ian, I'd be curious, what's the average day in life of Ian without traveling? So when you're at home in Austin, what's your average day? 
On Tuesdays and Fridays, I have uh, team calls with our product company. So I generally get up around eight or nine in the morning, do some prep for those calls. Those calls generally last until around one or two in the afternoon. And on Tuesdays and Fridays, like after that, like I'm kind of spent, you know, because I've been on the phone for five or six hours. So like maybe I'll do some like follow up emails on what we talked about. I'll do some further thinking. But that's kind of my day, Tuesdays and Fridays. Depending on what's going on in the DC and our other business, Dan, I'll generally spend a day or two with Alex, who is currently working on leading up the DC. We'll meet together at a cafe or we'll meet together somewhere here in Austin and we'll work on what's going on in those companies. So that kind of leaves me generally with like one or two days to myself during the week. During those days, a lot of times I'll work on whatever we're working on, Dan, inside of the DC or the product company, or I'll find myself in my garage. That's my sanctuary right now. And that's something that I had been working towards for a long time. I hadn't had a like a workshop geez, since I gave it up essentially to start this business with you in like 2008, man. I don't know if you remember that in Pacific Beach, I like had my little garage there. And now I've finally got another garage, a little bit bigger this time, a couple more toys. So generally I'm like tinkering in there, going outside, I'm working out. I ride my bike a lot, road bike, mountain bike. I got a 3D printer now doing a lot of experimenting with that just a lot of fun projects i I try and just get outside as much as possible what about you dan so for me my two main projects are the dc and the podcast and dc members and other entrepreneurs you know one of the businesses i work on the most is other entrepreneurs businesses it's like you know you get to the point people are asking about you know what's your number you get to a point in business where you start to want to focus on the fun things And I really like jumping on the phone or responding to emails of other entrepreneurs that are just launching a new product or doing something exciting. That really fuels me. So I spend a lot of my time on those kinds of projects. My day-to-day is pretty normal. I basically work from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. And then the laptop gets slammed shut at 2 p.m. And I'm off to have fun, whether that's generally it's going to the gym going to the sauna, getting a massage. In the evening time, I'll peek into the business again to see what's going on. Sometimes I'll work if there's a deadline, but more or less, I'll spend the evenings going out to eat with friends. That's a normal evening for me. Very nice. I used to have that going out to eat thing, Dan, too. And I loved eating out. I especially love it when we get to go eat out, man. But let me tell you, man, I have lost a couple inches now that I started (laughs) getting the food delivery to the house. That's been a game changer. So we have a food delivery at the house now, and they just deliver the meals. I think it's like between like eleven and fourteen dollars a meal, so it's really expensive. But they like count the calories, count the macros. It's yeah. all figured out. I got and to get man, out of I've the lost house. some weight. I like the whole set up your castle thing, and I got a good little castle here. But man, I have I'm getting pull my hair out at that point of the day. Wes Monk, a good friend from Ohio, writes: What non digital skills are you working on outside of the business? And then he says, uh, learning language, jumper from the elbow. Are you working on that? I am, actually. (laughs) Better listener, better mate. Nice. So what are you working on? The main event right now for me is weight training. I'm working on my squat form. That's a a new exercise that I've never incorporated because I was always, I came from a school of thought that was worried about injury. And so I've been working on like ankle flexion and getting mobility in my hips to do a proper squat. And I'm, I'm pretty much there. I'm spending a lot of time in a gym. Put it that way. I've gained like 15 or 20 pounds in the last few months. So that's been my thing, bro. Bro. <laughs> bro. Do you even lift? <laughs> How about you? So like I said, you know, spending a lot of time in the garage. That's been fun for me lately. I went out last weekend out to the Circuit of Americas, and I got the opportunity to instruct with uh, BMW Car Club of America. So that was pretty cool. I hadn't taught high-performance driving in like several years. 
And so it was like really fun to do that. And my girlfriend was like reminding me that like part of like spiritual balance is like teaching people things, not just taking, you know, it was like a really a good opportunity for me to give back. And so I had a lot of fun doing that. So hopefully I can do that in the future. But for me, it's trying to figure out a way to get myself onto a racetrack as often as possible. The preparation required for that is almost a full-time job, depending on if you're racing or just like going to a track day. I'm trying to learn as much as I can about 3D printing because I really feel like that's the future. I feel like that's going to be a major disruptor and I feel like there could be some way that I could be involved with that in the future. So, you know, trying to figure out different methods and materials and manufacturing and companies that are doing things out there. I'm, I'm really interested in that. And finally, I'm getting back to one of my childhood hobbies, which is uh, cycling. Kind of done it on and off for the last couple of years, but like when I was as a kid, I was really competitive. I did it all the time. I think, Dan, I don't know if you've heard this, but like as you get older, like people tend to gravitate, like people like move back to their hometown. They try to do stuff that when they were a kid. I hope I'm not on my way to death or anything like that. Here, I hope I'm not back. moving back to Northern Virginia. Just let me <laughs> but, say that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but I am finding myself like enjoying some of those hobbies that I had when I was a kid. I feel like a little bit of spiritual balance from the listeners here asking us these questions. It's nice that people responded and they were curious about these things. I gotta be honest, it does feel a little bit nerve wracking, like not giving five bullet points of advice and just answering questions. But I'm, <laughs> you know, one of the things I think about these athletic thing, not only are we over 30 years old, so we're probably freaking out about our mortality, but you know, starting a startup, starting a lifestyle business is kind of an all consuming act and it structures your day. When I used to work out, I used to be like, oh, this is the most efficient 20-minute workout and like I can get in there and I'm, I get productive and then I come back and I have another productivity pop and all that. The business really structured my day. Whereas now what I'm finding is that like I really enjoy the structure that weightlifting brings to my day. You know, I got to monitor my diet. I got to monitor my sleep. I got to monitor, you know, just all the things that come into that practice that adds a lot of structure to my day. So I'm not just going right. to the gym for 20 minutes anymore. You know, it's a much more in-depth process, and I like that part of it. And also, people mentioned the basketball part. So that's part of the training that I'm doing, is training for basketball. I want to stay on the court for a few more years, Ian, even though, you know, they call over 30s men's league ACL leagues. Matt from Colana asked, who you got in the NBA Finals? And it's worth mentioning while we're having a completely indulgent episode that I'm a huge NBA fan. Slash NBA is my favorite subreddit. I have league pass. I love Jeremy Lin. Those people make fun of me for that. I think Jeremy Lin is the greatest story in sports Epic in the last story, five years. Yeah. And I, I pick, although it's very difficult not to pick the Warriors, I pick the Spurs and the Cavs in the final and the Cavs in six, for the record. For the March record. March 27th, 2015. <laughs> <laughs> Kwame Robinson from San Francisco writes in to ask, are you hungry for more? I would love to hear you and Ian talk shop about where you see this thing going in five years or, or so. And secondly, for the right price or equity, would you consider being an advisor for a location independent business? You have an incredible business knowledge and would love for you to pick apart my business. So how about the second one first, Ian? Would you consider being an advisor? I think so. You know, Dan, we've tried to figure out for like the last several years now on like how to basically get involved in startup bootstrap businesses as advisors or equity shareholders or, you know, what that might look like. And I just don't, I still just don't have a clear path. I've had a couple people, you know, explain what they're doing and semi-successful. I, I just don't see how it can happen. I well, mean, these businesses, they definitely need mentors. They definitely need advisors, but they can't tolerate it financially. And, and to reiterate why, the last thing even our business needs, Ian, is some wealthy person that gave us a great piece of advice four years ago 
demanding checks on our annual dividends. So yeah. I honestly think the best way to do this is like, I've heard a lot of good things about Dan Sullivan over at Strategic Coach. You know, people pay him five figures and beyond to go be in the room with him and his people and to figure out how to get to the next level. I honestly think that high dollar seminars are the right way to do it. Even though, you know, traditionally there's a lot of kind of, is that worth it or this and that. But I think if you're if you're willing to do this and you have a little bit of experience, then that's the way to do it is to find a mentor, pay money to go to their seminar and get in their network. I guess, you know, we haven't really done much of that yet, but maybe it's something we'll do in the future. First question, are you still hungry for more? Absolutely. Like I said, I just ate one of those little fixed food things. It was like 300 calories. I'm absolutely starving thinking about going to In-N-Out right now. Uh, it's 9 p.m. You know, I, I think going with that metaphor, it's like I'm never not hungry. I'm never full. I think the same applies to this number thing. It's like it's there's no end game for me, you know? I just don't see it that way. And I think a lot of people that ask about the end game thing, it's like you've never – if you've never sat on your ass, you don't know what it's like to be bored. So – Absolutely, man. My biggest fear is being bored, and uh, that's not something I want to do. So I'm always looking for things to keep me uh, busy and interested. There's this quote that's like the biggest crime is being bored, or something. I don't know the quote, but I agree with it. It's just like, hey, man, if you're bored, there's nothing that you want to do in this world. You're looking at it through the wrong set of eyeglasses. So, agree. A Patrick from a little place called Aspen says, "Where do you guys drive the most revenue between the podcast, the DC?" Portable bar company, cat furniture, all that stuff. Where do you see it going in the next three to five years? That's a question actually we received from a lot of people, including Will Johnson from St. Louis and many others. What is your biggest source of revenue and all that stuff? So I'll leave the dirty numbers talk to you, Ian. We don't have to talk specific details but because I actually don't know them, but I can tell you the bulk, and I mean the main part, the biggest part of the cheese wheel comes from the product business. And that's where most of our income comes from as well. It's been like that pretty much since the beginning of these ventures. But also from my experience, I mean, the product business has been really doing well. It's been growing fast. And all the credit to you, brother. I mean, it's a testament to the power of people, processes, and your ability to run a company. I mean, look, this company is growing fast. You don't even live in the same state. I don't even live in the same country. It's a testament to the mindset that we've had about it, which is that we're going to insist that good people run it for us. And if the good people leave... You know, we're going to jump in there and find new good people. So I think you've done an incredible, incredible job with that company. Yeah, thanks, man. Maybe we should talk about that company a little bit more because it is where we make the bulk of our revenue and income from. And it has been a pretty amazing and impressive growth over the last couple of years. Oh, yeah. So Leroy Smith asked us similar from South Africa, you know, how many businesses do you guys own and what are the roles across them? So, yeah, it's just the product business and the DC, which is the back end to this podcast, which evolved probably maybe two or three years after we started the show. I don't think we made a buck off of the show. The show was just our fun, our release to talk about our experiences running that product company from day to day. So I think we did our first show in 2009. That was a rough year. Yeah, That was the dip. <laughs> right in the middle of the dip, flipped on the microphone. <laughs> More or less, Ian's the spiritual lead of the product company. I'm the spiritual lead of the DC. That's sort of the division of labor. Okay, two more questions, Ian. First, from Will Johnson in St. Louis. Why did you move to Mexico and did you like it? I was in Mexico for several months, actually thinking about going back down to Mexico at some point soon, especially when it starts to get hot here in Texas. 
Yeah, I loved it. I was in Playa del Carmen. Playa del Carmen, basically, from what I understand, was like a little town that developed because of, I think it's Cozumel is right across there. And it's like a dive spot. And so this was the port for there. But it actually turned into a pretty cool town. Highly, highly, highly recommend Playa del Carmen. It's got great infrastructure. It's got great ceviche. It's got great yoga. It's very safe and it's a great place to live. I think that the downside of Mexico is that it's not, for whatever reason, it's just not super sexy like Asia is for the digital nomad types. I think that the quality and quantity of entrepreneurs down there is not very strong right now. I mean, you'll meet some kind of local people doing some things down there, but you're, you're not going to get the international scene that you'll get like in Vietnam. So that was definitely the downside for me. And ultimately, why I can't see myself there long term is because it doesn't have a great social network. But other than that, I think it's an amazing place. One final question. This might be our longest episode of all time. So if you're sticking around, I just want to give a big shout to the super fans. Also, Ian and I love responding to comments. We subscribe to all the comment threads, all of our shows, and we try to reply to everybody. So the comments to this one would be at tropicalmba.com slash behind the scenes. So if you feel like there's something that we didn't address or that you'd like us to expound upon a little bit more, let us know there. So finally, we'll end with Tim Hoyt's question from Miami. With some distance, how cool was the Bali group house? What were the takeaways from that medium-term cooperative living situation? I'm going to let you answer this one first. I just want to point out that Tim Hoyt is probably one of our earliest listeners to the show. Like I remember Tim commenting on shows back in like 2009. So that's pretty cool, Tim, that you've stuck around. Thank you, Tim. We'll tell the story briefly. In 2011, Ian let me write a check to an Indonesian landowner in order to rent a huge villa, four and a half bedrooms with a pool and a Zen garden and a gardener. And it was right off the main strip in Bali. It was, in retrospect, I look back on it as a really magical time for a bunch of reasons. First is by having like sort of a medium term magnetic place, a lot of people came through town. So a lot of listeners of the show I met at that villa. And also my team members lived there, which I was actually worried about going into it, but it turned out to be better than I thought. I did learn one lesson about that though, Ian. Part of the way we justified the villa was we were going to give the rooms as part of the compensation for the job. And I just found that for location independent types, that's not very effective compensation. I would have been better off giving them a cash stipend and just renting out the rooms because a lot of times those rooms went vacant. So that's maybe one lesson I learned. You know, I was worried about it a little bit, Ian, because I'm sort of introverted and I was worried I was going to get frazzled and sort of worn out by people being around all the time. It just didn't play out that way. Like the positive energy, you know, I started a whole new podcast. I was blogging more than ever. Our businesses were growing. It was a pretty magical time in retrospect. And I met a lot of amazing people doing that. So I'm glad we did it. I'm really pumped. I mean, you you dropped by that villa a bunch of times, Ian. What was your view on the whole thing? It was an amazing experience. I mean, the people that we met from that time have stuck around and become friends, gone on to build great businesses. So I think that absolutely, like if you have the opportunity and you have the capital to do something like that, it was totally magical. I see a bunch of people starting these like nomad houses. Yeah. And it's kind of like a new concept, but kind of the same as the Bali thing. But but basically, like there's still like a very high demand for location independent living where you can like kind of pop in and pop out of. I get so inspired by seeing like Chris Reynolds, who was on the show a few weeks ago talking about Spain. You know, he did this with a series of apartments in Barcelona. I don't know. Have you been following his threads? Like the energy coming from that place. I can't quote him directly, but the point that I got from his post was like, 
oh my gosh, there's so many businesses coming from this. Like there's so much opportunity popping out of here. And it just does seem to be the case, you know, I mean, it's not rocket science. You get eight, nine, 10 smart people in, in small proximity and like good things happen. And that's why we throw events. It's, it's a really cool thing, especially when you can get to know people, you can become friends, you can do it over a little bit of a longer period of time. I see this as a really amazing future for entrepreneurs doing way, way more of this. It'd be interesting. If people are doing this kind of thing, I'd love to hear about it in the comments. So Ian, that was long. I just want to just one more thing, you know, just, just to say thanks for listening. We've been at this for over five years. It's cool to do a meta episode. That was fun. You feel like we spilled it all? Did we spill too much? Did we uh, spill not enough? <laughs> you know, like I said, people's takeaways when they meet us in person is that it's underwhelming, you know, because we're just, <laughs> we're just people that are trying to grow businesses like most of the people listening to this podcast. So it's a pleasure to join you all. And by the way, we're going to do another episode like this, but we're going to focus it on the business. But if you have any questions you'd like us to address in the business version, let us know in the comments of this one, tropicalmba.com slash behind the scenes. Any parting shots, boss man? I'm going to go get that burger I was talking about. (laughs) All right. We'll be back next Thursday morning. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.